Today's topic is vaporize the victim mentality within project teams. It it sounds like a Hollywood movie, Tom. Actually, not so much a Hollywood movie, but uh, some from time to time when organizations fall into a victim mentality, it can create a real horror story that probably is suitable for uh, a film somewhere along the line. So is one of your favorite films a horror film? Actually, no, horror films aren't uh, my favorite. If we really are telling the truth here, my favorites have to do with usually uh, comedic situations, slapstick, um, sophomoric humor. But on the more serious side, one of my favorites has to do with the story told by the movie uh, Apollo 13. And I, and I would assume that there's probably some of that victim mentality in that movie. Well, there's not only a bit of victim mentality that uh, is seen in the movie, but I, I think the transition to a fully accountable organization and truly vaporizing what could have been a full-blown victim mentality is an interesting part of that story, which we'll touch on as we go through our discussion. Sounds great. Sounds great. Well, let's get started. Tell me, what's the origin of this victim mentality within project teams? The origin has to do with the fact that in discussions I've had with a lot of pharmaceutical project teams and matrix teams, a lot of times when I go in to offer assistance, they are so discouraged by the amount and extent of the changes uh, that take place within their organization that they feel like they've had something done unto them through no fault of their own. It's almost like uh, from time to time they are feeling really good about their project, their resources, the people on the team, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, through no fault of their own, they get derailed and knocked off track. And if teams and team leaders don't deal quickly with those feelings, it can truly derail organizational efforts. So, um, so tell me, let's talk a little bit about this. You know, you, you, you talk about the accountability, but yet you've changed this a little bit. You talk this now, you, you, you said something about I accountability. So don't you mean accountability? I do. Uh, some years ago when I began working with my, uh, partner at Renaissance Leadership, he came up with a very creative way of spelling accountability. He would spell it I-C-O-U-N-T ability. And he did that for a couple reasons. He did that because he saw uh, accountability or I-countability as a real powerful blend of self-esteem to make a difference, mm -hmm. personal responsibility. I, I got an obligation to make a difference. And then a sense of empowerment. I possess the the capability and the freedom to make a difference. And it's, it's, it's really at the very heart of what every enterprise does when they're successful. The true keystone for any learning organization. So what's the difference between, and, and I don't want to jump ahead, but you mentioned responsibility and eye accountability. Is, is this an appropriate time to talk about the difference between the two of those? It, it really is because in a lot of organizations, the terms are used interchangeably, and I think there's a very discernible difference between the two, which is important for leaders and teams 
in R&D organizations to understand. Um, for me, responsibility is literally means how you choose to respond to something. Uh, usually when you have a responsibility uh, within a team, it's delegated. Someone's responsible uh, for clinical development. Somebody else is responsible for the chemical uh, aspects of it. Regulatory affairs is another responsibility. Um, and then the project leader or project manager has their responsibilities. And in each of those cases, when you have various responsibilities, there's typically some judgment or blame if something goes wrong. And on the other hand, you get credit or there's certain kind of fortune and glory from an Indiana Jones point of view uh, when things go well. And yet there are some differences between that responsibility and accountability. Okay. I, I think I understand responsibility, kind of a... Uh... It's almost a title-driven or a position-driven, something you can almost put on your business card or, you know, in your letterhead, if you will. So I think, I'm, if it, do, is that what I understand responsibility to be? That really is. And, and let me share with you accountability as, as I see it. Accountability differs from accountability in that a really great team, let's assume you've got 10 people on that matrix team or 10 people on the project team, it's very hard to really be as successful as you'd like to be is if everyone chooses to be only one-tenth accountable for what happens. I want to be fully accountable for my work within regulatory affairs, but I really don't care about the success that might be driven by a look at the chemical or clinical components of that team. Really good teams have to be willing to fully own what happens within that team, the good, the bad, little Clint Eastwood movie here, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and the other thing that's, for me, interesting and different is real accountability doesn't spend a lot of time looking at who to blame or who to shoot when things go wrong. Um, real accountability spends more time saying, how do we go about resolving or solving any of the issues that that come up but again you know i mean I, I hear what you're saying and in theory yes that sounds wonderful i am responsible for my part of this project um but i want to be a good team player and be accountable so that the whole project moves forward but a lot of that's just out of my control i you know so you know, help me out here. I mean, you know, I, I get it, but come on, this is the real world we deal with. It is the real world, but it is a great way for teams that have to come together quickly. R&D teams uh, come together quickly and in many cases dissipate just as quickly because of changes in priorities. Um, and to really fully do well with this kind of matrix environment, it is best and the, the great war stories I've heard of success have to do when people are willing to own the whole enchilada, not just, well, it was good because my work within the chemical side or my work within the R&D side or my work within drug discovery was successful, but rather I want to be seen as a viable team member that owns the whole thing. I want to get excited when they say we've done a good job and we should move on. 
Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I need to own the fact that we may not be selected as the drug component that moves on within the pipeline. So I will ask you this, how do I become I countable? I think one of the best ways, especially when we find ourselves in a victim mentality, when we occasionally see that the organization isn't fully taking into account all the data that we've created and the great story and strategy that we've developed for our particular um, project. One of the things that I've encouraged teams to do is become more familiar with what I'll call uh, accountability questions. Okay. The accountability questions I encourage them to have are basically three in number. And they're, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with these questions. What am I pretending not to know is the first question. Pretending not to know. Okay. What am I pretending not to know? Who or what am I unwilling to confront? And third, am I willing to let go of the story and kind of get on with the project, get on with the, the nature of, of my work? All right. Who am I pretending not to know? Who or what am I willing not to confront? Right. And then what am I not willing to let go? Yeah, exactly. Let me give you an example, and let me put it in the context of uh, a story. Um, I have four children. They're now grown, but when they were teens, I would uh, encourage them to take ownership uh, for the kinds of things that would happen. And many times my wife and I would want to go away for a weekend. And when the kids were uh, old enough, the oldest one said, hey, We don't need a babysitter anymore. We can handle that whole thing. Um, We thought about it long and hard. And, of course, what I did because of my background is I thought, well, we'll take them up on this, but I will hold them accountable. You see it in newspapers. You see it all the time. So I told them, got all four of the kids together, 17, 16, 15, and a little girl, eight. We didn't exactly win Planned Parenthood. But – and said, look, we're going to hold you guys accountable, okay? No drinking, nobody in the house, you know, all the ground rules that parents tend to throw out. We got back, and the house was pristine. And I'm thinking that's all you have to do is hold people accountable. And it wasn't until two weeks later when the neighbor approached me and said, um, yeah, you're jumping ahead a little bit on it, Steve, but it, it's, it struck me as a rut row too. Um, She said, Tom, you should feel very proud. And I said, well, why? She said, I have never seen so many young people behave so well. (laughs) And I said, I'm sorry, what do you mean? She said, the 40 people that showed up at the party on Saturday. It was a great group of young people, very well behaved. There was no drinking, no loud music. And I'm thinking... I have been totally taken advantage of, totally ripped off. Speaking of ripping, uh, where are they? Because, uh, you know, there will be judgment, there will be blame. And when I did this, I did this a series of times because uh, all three of my youngsters chose to behave in that manner over a period of years. Sure. And And it dawned on me when I first joined Renaissance Leadership and was exposed to this subtle difference between responsibility and accountability that I had not asked. I had not used those questions 
And so I I found a couple questions. What was I pretending not to know? And the, one of the things I was pretending not to know was that the kids have a peer pressure that's much stronger than my ability to say, I'm holding you accountable. Yeah. And who or what was I unwilling to confront was another question I never thought of. And as I look back on it, I could have confronted and told four to five parents that we were going out of town. Mm-hmm. And if any of their youngsters said, hey, we're going over to the Newtons for a party, uh, they could have said, uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah. And they helped me. And but let I your son or daughter know that you have asked four or five parents so that if they invite their friends over, that that will set an alarm off. Yeah. And, and the last one, because I stayed angry for a while and wanted to ground all of them, <laughs> you have to find a way to kind of let go of the story and kind of get on with things and continue to find ways to to trust them, to help them understand why you were disappointed in what they did. And those three questions, I just applied to a, a family situation, but it it applies also in business situations when you feel that stakeholders uh, uh, change, make changes in an organization, when you think that organizational leaders inadvertently and randomly change direction that prompts the team to just um, sputter out of control, asking, what are we pretending not to know? So this organization loves to change. Yeah, and, and, and if I'm going to, I'm kind of going to bring it back is what you're just saying. If, if what you're saying is, okay, your project's just been derailed. You now want to, and so does everyone on your team, want to blame others and become victims of whatever decision management has suddenly made. And what you're suggesting here is to turn around and say, wait a minute, just because you're responsible for this project doesn't mean you get to give up the ability to say, maybe I'm accountable to get this project done. And so I've got to figure out what's going on. And the best way to assess the situation is to ask these three questions. What am I pretending not to know? And who or what am I not willing to confront? And and how do we let go of these assumptions on our part so that we can possibly work this derailed project back into the flow of business. And that's that's a great summary, but I'm going to add one other element because I don't want anyone who's listening to mistakenly think that the best way to use these questions, if you're a matrix team leader in an R&D organization, is to use these questions on other people. Um, If you are a team member the last thing, and, and you're beginning to play a victim in, in our role, I am not suggesting that as a team leader, I should ask you in a very officious voice, Steve, <laughs> what are we pretending not to know? Or who or what are we unwilling to confront? My suggestion is that as a team leader or a team member, you use those questions on yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I think responsibility is something I can hold up and say, Steve, you were responsible for getting, uh, for example, for this podcast, you were responsible to give me a call at a certain time and be prepared to talk about a series of topics. And I was responsible to provide you with some questions that would lead us through this dialogue. On the other hand, both of us, when we do this well, I feel have a sense of ownership 
for the success of that and whether we actually ever uh, ask these questions, they are best asked with a mirror up to you, not asked of other people because it sounds presumptuous and lecture-like yeah. in doing so. And nobody wants to be, be wrong or be shown that they're wrong. But let me ask you this, Tom. It's striking me this. What's the benefit of being a victim? Why, why would we do that? I, I, you know, why, why do we want to be victims? Well, I think psychologists tell us that we don't do anything in our own life that doesn't have some benefit for me. And you don't do things in your life that doesn't somehow subtly benefit you. And if mm -hmm. you think about it, one of the among the advantages of being a victim is I get some attention. It is a great way to bring a story to, to life. Uh, it, it is a great way to be included because if other people are telling woe is me victim stories, I've got one too. Mm -hmm. And if I've got one, I'll be included at the table. It's also, uh, to your point earlier, you get to be right. And it's very important with all the changes that are being experienced in pharmaceutical organizations that no one on those teams wants to be wrong or look less than focused. You also pick up some uh, martyrdom points. Uh, you get a lot of sympathy because people are very willing to say, oh, did you hear what happened to Steve? Steve, tell that story. Oh, that was just awful. And we kind of, it kind of feeds on itself. And the other thing that's really interesting for me is when I'm a victim, I don't have to come up with any solutions. How could I? Oh, wow. When you consider how, what happened to me, I think I did a, a fine job just dealing with the, the issues that I had to. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I will tell you that you're right. I mean, so often it's easier just to um, to be the victim than it is to have to ask tough questions. Um, is there, okay, I'm a team leader. We've gotten derailed or we've got, we've come, we've run into a, uh, a stopping point. We're not getting the results they want. And I'm, you know, calm down. I'm no longer angry. I now I'm starting to ask myself the questions. What else is there? Is there some sort of levels of accountability or accountability, or is there something else that we want to identify that will help us kind of move through this process? I think there's a, something else I'd like to identify because we've talked about the benefits of being a victim. One of the ways to get to the benefits of really being accountable is important before we look at those levels of accountability. Okay. And from my standpoint, um, what I occasionally do is encourage people to tell a story where they really have been a victim okay. and people love telling those stories. Oh, yeah. And when they finish, I expose them to the three questions. What are you pretending not to know? Who or what are you unwilling to confront? And are you willing to get over the story and get on? And they asked, they're asked to tell the same story, but only answer those questions. And one of the things that I then put people through is a discussion of, What's that like and how is that different? And people typically say, when I told the accountable version of the story, I felt like I had more choices. I felt like I was more in control. Mm -hmm. I got a stronger self-esteem. I feel better about myself. It's where I did my learning and, and I had some insights that I think could help both me and the, and the team. There's a sense of energy and, and respect and 
when you think about it in a changing organization like the folks who are listening to this podcast are probably in, who does not want to be seen as someone who's in control, a strong self-esteem, a, a constant learner, uh, great insights, great energy, and has the respect, both self-respect and the respect of their peers. It's where I'd like to be yeah. and how I'd like to be seen. So it is is a place where I'd like to get to. Yeah, and I see the difference between the benefits of being a victim and the benefits of being accountable. What else? What else do we need to talk about as far as helping to vaporize this victim mentality and to understand, um, the, you know, a better understanding of this I accountability? Well, before looking at those levels of accountability that you reference, there's probably one other thing, and that is to just recognize why despite all the strengths that are there and all the benefits we just listed, why people still uh, choose not to? What are the, what's the downside? What are the costs of accountability? And, and a lot of times that has to do, it's a very high-risk behavior uh, because varsity failure is potentially right there. It will be noticed. There's a high exposure if someone says, hey, as I look at that project, I could have handled that differently and better and perhaps saved us some time or saved us some money. That's uh, uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Uh, it's lonely. And there's a big V. There's a lot of vulnerability. And with all of the changes uh, organizationally and otherwise that are taking place in most organizations, adding to a level of vulnerability is not where most of us choose to go. Right. That makes sense. It makes sense. So where do we go from here, Tom? Well, you you alluded to those levels of accountability. And if someone would kind of visualize looking at the page, and when I have the luxury of showing these levels of accountability, I usually show them from the bottom up and start at the very lowest end of the totem pole, actually below a victim level, where there are some people, and perhaps some of our audience knows, and, and you're aware that... There are some people who are just unconscious and unaware. These are kind of uh, psychic vampires. You're talking about horror movies earlier. These are the psychic vampires of a an organization. They kind of just suck the energy out of a conversation, out of the kind of thing that can happen in a great team in, environment. Coming up the line as I move through my victim mentality, which I occasionally fall into, I get into what I call... Uh, Finger point, blame, and gossip. We're just talking about situations and other people and how well we could have done if it hadn't have been for this and it hadn't have been for that. And the other aspect that falls into uh, a victim mode is when we're, we have stories and rationalizations about why things aren't going to work before, before the ink is dry on our project remit, before we really know what's fully expected of us there are times when my victim mode jumps in and goes, well, let me tell you why that's not going to fly. And I'm not sure I'm going to give this a full hundred percent. I got six other projects to work on and I've seen them change direction 42 times. This one's going to get a 75% effort because uh, I've been burned before. And that's, that's when I know I'm in a victim mentality. And lastly, I know I'm in a victim mentality when I'm, I'm kind of in a wait and hope mode. Interestingly enough, wait and hope is a very 
oh, it's very passive. And as a result, um, I don't feel like I'm willing to, to take an ownership for what's taking place. Um, so if I'm understanding, these levels of accountability are an awareness for the leader to be able to make sure that they're attentive to what's going on. They kind of know where they are. Is that what I'm understanding about these levels of accountability? That really is. In fact, I find that I move from my victim mentality to an accountable level when I, I'm on a team or when I have team members that see and create their own role. They're willing to step up and do the things that are necessary for the, the team, not only within their specific area, if they're regulatory affairs or if they're safety assessment or if they're pharmacovigilance or whatever project role and responsibility they have, they're willing to seize ownership, take the actions they need, and within the context of a series of parameters, they're almost ready to ask for forgiveness rather than permission. Most team leaders, uh, their key role uh, is to really make sure that the members on that team have the freedom, the flexibility, and, a, and are supported in their willingness to own the actions they take. Um, two other things, one specifically, great accountable leaders and great accountable team members are confident about the decisions they make, and they spend more time looking at how do we create solutions rather than who do we shoot or who do we throw under the bus mm -hmm. during those times when changes take place. It really is almost a Nike philosophy. Let's just make it happen. And those are one of the interesting things about the levels is nobody is just accountable and nobody's just a victim. We move yeah. up and down that scale with a fair amount of speed, <laughs> flexibility, and my encouragement to teams and the leaders is how can we spend just less time than we do in the victim mentality and move more swiftly to that ownership mentality? Well, again, I think there's some great things that we've talked about today, and I won't go in and uh, review them all at this very moment because um, I will encourage folks to visit the website, which will have a recap of this podcast. And the, the uh, website is www.pharmalosophy.com. And I'll spell that. It's pharma, P-H-A-R-M-A, philosophy, L-O-S-O-P-H-Y. So is there anything you would want to say, Tom, as it relates to wrapping this all up? No, I think that um, I would encourage, as I've done in the past, if after looking at those notes within the Pharmalosophy website, if anyone has any questions, there's a, a couple links that allow people to uh, ask specific questions or contact me uh, at Renaissance Leadership. I'd be glad uh, to respond promptly and uh, help you through some of the questions that are created. So thanks very much for giving me the opportunity to connect with you today. Always a pleasure. Well, and kind of wrapping back to Apollo 13, I would encourage everyone to watch that movie if they haven't or watch it again if they've seen it and try to see how they respond to a project that is going horribly wrong and has some very, very bad consequences if they don't. 
um, respond in the proper way and how they you know, avoided the victim mentality or at least overcame it. Great suggestion. Well, Tom, thanks again today, and y'all stay tuned. We'll be having more podcasts coming. And again, check out www.pharmalosophy.com, spelled P-H-A-R-M-A, philosophy, L-O-S-O-P-H-Y. Thanks, everybody. Have a good day. <laughs>